Well, howdy y'all. Welcome back <clears throat> to another episode of Once Upon a Time in Texas. It's actually episode number 42. I cannot believe that we've done 42 of these podcasts so far. I'm your host, Michael Mitchell. So here's the skinny here locally. Uh, last week, we matched or hit a record high from Monday through Thursday. And then overnight, Wednesday, we just uh, apparently lose our minds. And the weather just completely changes from a high of 91 degrees Wednesday to a high of 58 with rain on Thursday. So, uh, whoo. Got a little chilly, but you know what? We're running 60s during the day now, 40s uh, at night. And so, you know, it's kind of pleasant weather. Um, we don't need our air conditioners on. Some of us don't need our heaters on. So we'll see. But it changed It changed real quickly. And uh, that's just, just the way it happened. Um, <clears throat> we also finalized our local election. So uh, congratulations to those that won. I know there were some... Uh, not heated races, but there was a lot of talk about the local race for mayor. And uh, so our mayor is now Tim Short. So congratulations, Tim. Think you'll do a great job. Definitely want to see some good changes in the city. Um, but, uh, you know, we had some other great people that ran as well. Carol Murray, who's a local business owner with Frank and Joe's. Um, we also had Scott Painish who is a fantastic guy, um, owns Delta Tea here locally, and also uh, the winery, the local winery, which is, uh, oh, I mess it up. It's Horseshoe Bend Cellars and Winery. Um, anyway, they do a great job out there. Love them and their stuff. And so uh, even though Scott and Carol didn't win, I'm going to assume they're still going to be doing some great things. Um, also, congratulations to another guy that we've had on the podcast before and a friend of mine, Michael Badalino. He won the uh, District 4 spot, and he was up against a couple of folks. Uh, one guy I did not know, uh, the other guy, Sam Pack, is a very good friend of mine. Uh, and although Sam didn't win, I think he's uh, considering running for the district member at large, which would be a great thing. And so, Sam, Michael, um, you guys both ran just hell of a good uh, campaigns and, you know, glad to see that you guys are working together to make things better for our city. So, congratulations to all those. Um, so, there we go. And so, because voting is always a, a historical event, kind of whether it's local or national, it always is historical or feels historical, have you ever witnessed anything historical? My grandparents all spoke about the Great Depression, even though they were all born, you know, kind of on the back end of it. Uh, it certainly affected their lives greatly. Um, they also spoke about the bomb bombing of Pearl Harbor, which most of them were old enough to really recollect and remember. My parents have both spoken about uh, the assassination of President Kennedy. Um, you know, man landing on the moon, you know, if you believe that happened, I do. <laughs> uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis and also the Cold War, like those were scary times. Um, you know, I speak about 9-11 to my kids. Uh, 
because um, as I heard a kid say the other day, you know, his parents were born in the 1900s, <laughs> which kind of pissed me off a little bit, to be honest. But uh, the kid wasn't wrong, but it just sounded terrible to say it that way, that his parents were born in the 1900s. I kind of wanted to walk over and punch him in the face, but I, uh, I restrained myself. So anyway, why am I asking this? Have y'all ever heard of witness trees? I, I really had not. Um, these are trees that were witness to historical events um, that are still around today. And there are several here in Texas. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, of course, as always, I want to thank our sponsors, me and American Mortgage Company. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas, and of course, now Oklahoma, because I'm licensed there. And I know a lot of y'all do too. So let me help them out. I've stated before, I am an independent mortgage loan originator, so I can go shopping many different companies to find you the best deal, the best rate, the best terms, just basically the best of everything. Um, we do, as mortgage loan originators, no matter what state you're in, have your best interest in mind. We don't get paid unless you close a loan. And so we want to make sure that you are happy and that we are getting the best for you. We're also a little faster, cheaper, and easier than the big banks, typically. Um, so why not work with someone who's at least entertaining, works hard to make that process faster, cheaper, and easier. Somebody like me. If you are not in Texas or Oklahoma, you can go to findamortgagebroker.com and you can search for people in the area that you are moving to. You can check reviews. It's a, it's a pretty good tool. And I'm listed on there uh, for Wichita Falls and the state of Texas. So anyway, if you know someone moving to Texas, Send them my way. Send them over to themichaelmitchell.com. That is T-H-E michaelmitchell.com. Let me help them out. Remember when you work with me, I sell dreams, not mortgages. And I, I, I say that and I always kind of joke, but I really do. Buying a home is a dream uh, or a bucket list item of lots of people. And I cannot tell you how much I enjoy making that happen. All right, so I mentioned on a previous podcast that I had been on a camping trip with our scout troop down to Fort Belknap, which is uh, right outside of Newcastle, Texas. Um, yeah, and we were down at Fort Belknap, which is just amazing. And I had a conversation with a fellow scouter. And remember, this fort just has these huge trees around it. They're just gorgeous. And I'm having a conversation with the fellow scouter, and he says something along the lines of, man, can you imagine what all the trees around this fort must have seen back in the day? Well, I laughed because the answer is really probably nothing. Because <laughs> I think they were all planted in like the 30s or 40s. Uh, the 1930s or 40s. You know, way back in the 1900s, as that kid would think. Um, I, I don't think the majority of them were there <laughs> when the fort was active as a military fort. Um so basically, I don't think they ever saw like the cavalry or any battles or anything there at the fort. Um, but, you know, the, the point was kind of made. 
you know. And sure enough, when I was researching for our last two podcasts, you know, where we talked about the Texas Trails system, something popped up about witness trees. And I thought, what the heck is a witness tree? And so I kind of went down a rabbit hole there, um, you know, for a little bit and found some pretty cool information. So witness trees. A witness tree is a tree that was present during a grand historical or cultural event of America. And I assume maybe they have them around the world, but um, the trees got their name from being witness to a significant historical event. Witness trees are centuries old, typically, and are known to be of great importance to the U.S. nation's history. Uh, it's really kind of unclear how many witness trees there are, but the ones documented are archived in the Library of Congress through the Witness Tree Protection Program, which sounds kind of shady, the Witness Tree Protection Program. So because of their historical importance to the Historic American Landscape Survey under the Heritage Documentation Program, they created the Witness Tree Protection Program in 2006. The program was initially created to document and identify two dozen historically significant trees in the Washington, D.C. area. The creation of the program came from the discovery of Yoshino cherry trees from the year 1910. So in 1910, the people of Japan had gifted the U.S. Uh, Yoshino cherry trees as a sign of friendship, which, you know, obviously went away in you know, December 7th, 1941 with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Anyway, um, the trees gifted in 1910 were all issued at some point to be destroyed after the U.S. Department of Agriculture had determined that they had disease and were filled with insects. Now, they were planted and they were around for quite a while. So, in the year 1912, Japan had replaced their gift from 1910 with a new set of Yoshino cherry trees. And so they gifted these to us. Um, I guess they were planted. They were found to have insects and disease, and they destroyed them. So in 1912, Japan replaces them. USDA records show that two dozen of the trees from 1910 were saved and quarantined for observation by entomologists. The cherry trees are believed to have been planted near Haynes Point, where you can find a cluster of them that both show signs of being from the early 1900s, and they don't match the DNA of the re-gifted cherry trees from 1912. So this discovery of these 1910 Yoshino cherry trees showed the importance of documenting trees that had witnessed historically significant events. So I thought that was kind of cool. So a few national witness trees, um, which I found on their website, are, uh, and there's a bunch of them listed, but I just picked out a few. Um, the Burnside Sycamore, which is one of the most well-known Civil War era trees, is the Burnside Sycamore, located on the Antietam National Battlefield in Maryland. After the Battle of Antietam, Alexander Gardner photographed the Burnside Bridge along with the young sycamore sapling. 
the tree has faced many casualties and still remains as an important landmark and feature to the site. That is one thing to mention that a lot of these trees were really young or saplings at the time of these events. And so um, I don't really know why that's significant, but I guess it's just the fact that maybe they were young and that they've grown now. And uh, anyway, I don't know. So uh, the Andrew Jackson Southern Magnolia, so a night, and I'm, I'm sorry, 1829, President Andrew Jackson planted his late wife's favorite tree, which was a magnolia, in memory of her passing. Uh, the trees can be found on both sides of the south portico of the White House. These magnolia trees are the oldest presidentially planted on the White House grounds, and they are also depicted in honor of Andrew Jackson and his wife on the U.S. $20 bill. I didn't know that. Uh, the third one on the national uh, list was George Washington's Mount Vernon Historic Tree, located on Mount Vernon in Virginia. The George Washington's Mount Vernon Historic Tree is believed to have been planted during the 1780s. The tree was known to have witnessed George Washington's life, including his return home from the presidency. The tree was also carved with uh, core insignia by U uh, I'm sorry, Union troops while they were stationed there during the Civil War. The last one on our national list is the Oklahoma City Survivor Tree. So the Oklahoma City, and this is uh, obviously quite a bit newer, although, gosh sakes, that was, this was almost 30 years ago. Oh, God, I can't believe it's that far back. Anyway, um, the Survivor Tree is an American elm located in downtown Oklahoma City. On uh, April 19, 1995, Timothy McVeigh bombed the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. Um, and I had family and everything that was downtown. They remember hearing this, windows blown out, the whole bit. Um, the Survivor Elm had absorbed some of the blast and had glass and metal embedded into its bark. The Elm was initially wanted for evidence, but survivors and family members of those killed in the blast had pleaded to save the elm, and the elm is now the focal point of the Oklahoma City National Memorial. So anyway, with all this, this gets me thinking about witness trees in Texas, and sure enough, we have a few. And there are quite a few lists of witness or historical trees out there in Texas, but I found uh, this great list uh, on the Texas Historical Commission's website, texastimetravel.com. And so, Want to make sure and give credit there um, because actually that's where I found most of the stuff for the last two podcasts was on texastimetravel.com. And so uh, that's my little blurb for them and giving uh, kudos to them. So it's a fantastic website. So let's talk about some trees. Here's what I could find. Number one is Austin, Texas with the Austin Treaty Oak. The Treaty Oak is a Texas live oak tree in Austin, Texas, and the last surviving member of the Council Oaks, which was a grove of 14 trees that served as a sacred meeting place for the Comanche and Tonkawa tribes before European colonization of the area, at least we assume. Foresters estimate the Treaty Oak to be about 500 years old, which is 
you know, pretty good for a tree. Uh, before its vandalism in 1989, the tree's branches had a spread of 127 feet. Um, the tree is located in Treaty Oak Park on Baylor Street between 5th and 6th in Austin's West Line Historic District. Uh, the vandalism, I guess somebody came and sprayed Roundup or, or some sort of herbicide on it and really did a lot of damage and they had to cut off a lot of the dead stuff. So, a Native American legend holds that Council Oaks was a location for launching war and peace parties. Legends also describe that the Hisane women would drink a tea made from honey and the acorns of the oaks to ensure the safety of warriors in battle. According to popular local folklore, as well as the inscription, inscription on a plaque at the tree's base, in the 1830s, early Texas pioneer Stephen F. Austin, for whom the town is named, met local Native Americans in the grove to negotiate and sign Texas's first boundary treaty after two children and a local judge were killed in raids. No historical document, uh, documentation exists to support this event taking place. Folklore also holds that Sam Houston rested beneath the Treaty Oak after being deposed as governor of Texas by the secessionist state legislator at the start of Texas's involvement in the American Civil War. As more and more European Americans colonized Texas, Council Oaks fell victim to neglect and the development of Austin. Uh, by 1927, only one of the original 14 trees remained. The American Forestry Association proclaimed the tree a perfect specimen of a North American tree and inducted the treaty oak into its Hall of Fame. So, beginning in the 1880s, the tree was privately owned by the Caldwell family in Austin. And then because she could no longer afford to pay the property taxes on the land, in 1926, the widow of W.H. Caldwell offered the land for sale for $7,000. So while local historical groups urged the Texas legislature to buy the land, it appropriated no funds. So in 1937, the city of Austin purchased the land for $1,000 and installed a plaque honoring the tree's role in the history of Texas. So there we go, um, the Austin Treaty Oak in Austin. Next, we go to the Muster Oak, which is in Fayette County, um, which is uh, LaGrange. You know, ZZ Top sang about down in LaGrange. Oh, 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 oh. Something like that. I, I can't do it quite like them. So this historic live oak in Fayette County stands as both a monument to fallen soldiers and the central part of a tradition that extends back to 1842. In 1842, under the oak that still stands today, Captain Nicholas Mosby Dawson recruited about a dozen local men to join Captain Matthew Caldwell and the Texas Army at Salado Creek. Unfortunately, a Mexican cavalry unit attacked Dawson and his men en route to Caldwell and all were killed just days after they volunteered in what would come to be known as the Dawson Massacre. Nevertheless, Caldwell ultimately triumphed over General Adrian Wool, and so it has become tradition for local men departing to defend their countries to bid adieu to their sweethearts and loved ones 
under the gnarled limbs of the muster oak. So I think that's very cool. Number three on our list is the wedding oak of San Saba. Romantics will want to seek out this specimen nestled in the heart of Texas outside of San Saba, Texas, just up the road from the Beverage Suspension Bridge stands a magnificent oak with a wide canopy that stretches across the road. Known to locals as marriage or wedding oak, before the Spanish arrived in this fertile land along the San Saba River, where native pecans grow in abundance, it's said that Native Americans would hold council meetings and unity ceremonies beneath this very tree's protective branches. Centuries later, it remained a beloved meeting spot for couples to exchange vows. In 2017, the oak suffered a major loss when a limb measuring about 10 feet in diameter cracked and broke off. Fortunately, the tree has survived and couples today can still visit the tree and pledge their eternal love. Uh, we did it at the Methodist Church in uh, Henrietta, Texas. It's where I pledged my eternal love to my wife, and uh, she pledged hers back. Um, they've got trees around it, but I don't know that any of them are called the wedding tree. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, number four is the Ben Milam Cypress in San Antonio. Legend tells the tale of a towering bald cypress tree from which Mexican sniper under General Martin Perfecto de Cos, uh, sorry, his command, allegedly shot and killed Benjamin R. Milam on the night of December 7, 1835. After several months of failed attempts to take San Antonio back from the Mexican army, failures which had left his men disillusioned and bored, Colonel Milam rallied 300 volunteers and led them on an advance into the city. The six-day offensive, which became known as the Siege of Bayer, B-E-X-A-R, so if you go to look it up, it's uh, spelled Bexar, but it's pronounced Bayer, was an ultimately successful military engagement for the Texan army, but not one without loss. During the intense house-to-house -house combat, thinking he was protected by the high walls of the courtyard, Ben Milam ventured into the backyard between the uh, Veramendi Palace and the river to, confirm with, uh, to confer with another commander. He didn't know that waiting in the tall cypress that overlooked the palace courtyard was a Mexican sharp, sharpshooter who, with a single shot to the head, killed Milam instantly. Milam was buried on the grounds and later moved to a cemetery on the current site of Milam Park. This twin cypress, believed to have been a frequent vantage point for Mexican snipers targeting Texans who approach the river, can still be viewed from the river walk through the Veramendi Palace. It fell into disrepair and, uh, I'm sorry, the Veramendi Palace fell into disrepair and was demolished around 1910. But you can still see it from the uh, river walk. Next, we have the Sam Houston Oak in Gonzales. Adjacent to the 1842 Brock's House, located 12 miles southeast of Gonzales, stands a lonely but grand 
live oak. Known as the runaway scrape oak or Sam Houston oak, on March 13, 1836, General Sam Houston and his contingent of no more than 400 Texans camped under this very oak at the start of their momentous retreat from Gonzales, an event which became known as the Runaway Scrape. Upon receiving news of the fall of the Alamo, Sam Houston gave the order to set fire to the town of Gonzales, of course to prevent Mexican forces from benefiting from its shelter and resources, and, you know, then he retreated. Women and children left first, followed by a rear guard of citizen troops who kept watch behind them. The townspeople and troops trudged eastward all night until stopping to rest shortly before dawn on the property of Bartholomew D. McClure. It was while camping there that from under the Great Oak, Houston rallied his soldiers declaring that those who saw fit to stay behind must suffer the consequences. He dispatched retreat orders to Fannin and Goliad and devised a strategy to lure Santa Ana into dividing his forces, then continued east to the Brazos and then south to engage Santa Ana in the decisive Battle of San Jacinto on April 12, 1836, just 46 days after the fall of the Alamo. Santa Anna is also said to have camped under this same oak with his men just three weeks after Sam Houston was there. So yeah, the Sam Houston Oak near Gonzales, or the one runaway, runaway scrape oak. It's, it's kind of tough to say. You kind of want to call it the runaway scapegoat. <laughs> I don't know. Number six is the uh, Las Suevas Ebony in Los Ebanos, I think I'm saying that right, uh, which is way down on the border, kind of by McAllen. On the north bank of the Rio Grande River at the U.S.-Mexican border, just outside the tiny village of Los Ebanos, it's probably Ebanos, um, and past the ghostly abandoned buildings that once populated the area stands a giant Texas ebony tree that anchors the last hand-drawn ferry in the United States. Long before the hand-drawn ferry was licensed by Hidalgo County in 1852, this river crossing was an important ford used by early Spanish colonists, indigenous peoples, smugglers, Texas Rangers, American troops, and even a U.S. president. Originally known as the Los Suevas Crossing, due to the many caves that dot the nearby hills, Spanish colonists once used this ford to reach the La Salle de Rey in present-day Edinburgh, where they filled their wooden carts with salt rock and then returned to Mexico. In 1846, General Zachary Taylor's army marched up from Fort Brown to this crossing point to begin their invasion into Mexico. Later that century, it was the site of several violent skirmishes between Texas Rangers and Mexican cattle smugglers, then, during Prohibition, the name was informally changed to Smuggler's Crossing due to its frequent use by the tequiladores who snuck bootleg liquor across the river. Probably made a lot of money. Finally, in 1950, a U.S. inspection station was built at the ancient fort, or Ford, sorry, and a hand-drawn automobile ferry was established. 
Still in operation just outside of Los Abanos, the ferry can fit three cars and requires four to five people to hand pull the ferry across the river using the rope that's hitched to the legendary Los Suevas ebony tree. And then the last one, which I need to look up and see if it's still going, but uh, it, it had it on the Texas Time Travel website. All right, the last one is called The Big Tree. Sounds interesting. The Big Tree, which is on Goose Island near Rockport. So no list of Texas's legendary trees is complete without mention of the Big Tree, otherwise known as Bishop's Tree, the Goose Island Oak, the Lamar Oak, or the once largest live oak in Texas. Located in Goose Island State Park in Brazoria County, measuring 421 and a quarter inches in circumference, 44 feet tall with a crown spread of 89 feet. This is a big tree. I guess that's why they call it the big tree. The majestic coastal live oak is estimated to be around 1,100 years old. From ceremonial rituals held there by the native Caroncawas to the exploits of Spanish explorer Cabeza de Vaca, or so legends say, this tree has been witness to more than a little Texas history. Though the giant was usept as the largest live oak in Texas in 2016 by another located on private property in Colorado County, no one standing before this tree would doubt its supremacy over most, if not all, trees in Texas. So there you go. We had four national witness trees and seven right here in Texas. Although there is a list that has quite a few more famous trees. Um, these were kind of witness trees. So what do y'all think? Let me know. What other kind of weird or off the wall, interesting Texas history would you like to hear about? What have you heard about? Share it with me. Send it to me. Send me a message. Um, find my email on themichaelmitchell.com. Send me a message on Facebook. Shoot, give me a call if you want to. I don't care. I would love to hear what you have to say. As always, I want to thank our sponsors again. That is me and American Mortgage Company. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, or of course Oklahoma now, since I'm licensed there, send them my way to themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. Love people making laugh and, or, and smile and uh, really do enjoy helping people get into homes of their own. Um, before we go ahead and, you know, put this pony back in the barn, keep in mind, I want you all to go check out my Facebook group called Your Bucket List. Um... And it's about helping people mark things off their bucket list. Because, of course, as a mortgage owner originator, I love doing that. But there are other things out there that I want to try to help make happen. And so this is an idea. I have not done much with it yet. However, I, uh, I'm putting the intention out there that I want to do um, good things with it starting in January. Um, how that's going to go, I do not know yet. But uh, we're going to make it happen. So go check it out. It's called Your Bucket List. Um, the picture has a map and compass on it. 
So uh, anyway, of course, go like our Once Upon a Time Facebook page and group if you haven't already. Um, you know, just see what we're all about. And then, of course, go check out my website. I've got other stuff on my website, um, themichaelmitchell.com. Um, you know, just a little more about me. So there you go. Thank you all for tuning in to episode number 42 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. As always, remember... The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.